Today's episode of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast is brought to you by Tocoa Falls College in Tocoa Falls, Georgia. Since 1907, TFC, glorifying God through seeking and developing leaders who will impact the world for Jesus Christ. For more information on TFC, call 706-886-7299 or visit them online at tfc.edu. That's tfc.edu. Thanks for listening to that. And now, here's your regularly scheduled intro. You are listening to Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast, where we talk about your theological questions. BGN podcast is produced every Saturday for your enjoyment. Get more information on our website, grace-nation.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at Grace Nation Min and on Facebook. Now, here is your host, President of Grace Nation Ministries, Victor. Yo, yo, what is up, guys? And welcome back to a brand new episode of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I am your host, Victor, and I am so excited to be back here with you today. Guys, Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. If you are new here, FYI, we post every Saturday and we post a new podcast on a different theological topic. And so you should totally tune back in next week and you should check out our prior podcasts from the previous weeks. We have so many good topics on so many things. I'm sure there's at least something that sparks your interest. And guys, if you're a returning listener, if you're back again, welcome back. And thank you so much for tuning back in. I'm so happy that you've decided to spend the next 15 to 25 minutes with me here on Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. This topic has been weighing on my heart. And so I'm just going to get right into it because I have a lot to say and not a ton of time. I'm riding solo today. I'm, I'm going, I'm single, both on this podcast and in real life. So hit me up, but I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going solo and I'm going to be, I'm going to be responding to an article that I recently read on this specific topic. And if you've already seen the title, which obviously you already have, I've titled the podcast, what is your role part two? If you haven't seen part one, I definitely encourage you to go check out part one because we really discuss the debate between compliment, complementarian theology and egalitarian theology. And I think, I think we, we talk about it in a respectable way. And we really dive into the nitty gritty and the, and the biblical basis for each one and which one we think uh, it, it should be practiced today. And so go check that out. In short, we land complementarian because that is the view in which we believe to be the most biblically accurate and God glorifying. And so just short uh, description of, of what that is. If, if you just don't know what that is, that is me. That That's basically a relationship between a man and a woman. They complement each other. They play different roles, yet complement each other. And so the man is the head of the house, and the, and the woman is, is his helper uh, with certain things, things that, that the man cannot do. And it's not that she is dominated by the man. It is not that she is disrespected or inferior to the man. It's quite the opposite. It's that she is happily submitting under his rule in the house. And and to kind of put this into perspective, I always point to the Trinity, right? I always point to the Trinity. In the Trinity, we see a beautiful picture of Jesus submitting to the Father 
And Jesus submitting to the Father doesn't make Jesus any less God than the Father. The, the Father is 100% God and the Son is 100% God, but we see submission. And in the same way, it doesn't make a, a, a woman any less of a woman to submit to her husband. It is simply an act of obedience to the order that God has given us for biblical marriage. And mind you, that is within the context of marriage. Outside the context of marriage, we have a completely different conversation, yet the man is still the head of the, is supposed to be the head in the church as God is the head of the church. We can get into that a little bit later, but this, this podcast isn't really going to be focusing on those things. I just needed to catch you guys up to where I'm talking about. The reason uh, I want to talk about this is this is actually a response to an article that I read this week. And I very hardly ever do this. I very, I very, ta- I very hardly take 25 minutes of your time and respond to one person's article. And I want to tell you why I'm doing this. The purpose of Grace Nation Ministries and Bringing Grace to the Nation's podcast is to inform and equip followers of Christ to do every good work and to be faithful ministers of the gospel and proper interpreters of the scriptures. There's a lot of of improper thinking, improper hermeneutic, improper interpretation of the Bible on the internet and in the church, and unfortunately people are blindly accepting this stuff that they read online. And so I want to give you guys a pro- an example of something that, that is on the internet by an influencer, someone who is has extreme influence in, in this field, right? I want to show the importance of a proper hermeneutic, which is an interpretation of scripture, so that we can be faithful bearers of the good news. We're called to dive into the scriptures and to study it, so we must be diligent in doing so, and if we're not, we're going to end up with an improper, unbiblical interpretation of Scripture. And so, just just a quick story behind how I came across this article and how I came across this topic was I was just scrolling through Facebook like I normally do, or scrolling through the internet like I normally do when I get bored in class. And I can't. I, I oftentimes come across very controversial things, whether it be predestination, Calvinism, Arminian, Arminianism, uh, you know, middle knowledge, all this different kind of stuff that, that I do reading on. And, and I don't pick those things and do podcasts on them. However, I saw this and I, and I wanted to do a podcast on it and I'll leave the link to the article I'm referencing in the show notes, but the title of the article is freedom in Christ slash submission in marriage colon why I don't submit to my husband part one. That is the article that I am responding to in this podcast. And I don't want you to tune out if, you know, you disagree with me or agree with me. I want you to stick in because I'm going to be walking you through what she says and how we can biblically interpret what she's saying and see where some of her arguments fall short. And we can apply this to everything we read in scripture. So I want to kind of use this as an example of how to do a correct hermeneutic and how we can spot unbiblical things when scrolling through the internet. Because unfortunately, a lot of people will just blindly accept whatever's thrown at them and whatever's popular. And a lot of these uh, popular ideas are incorrect. And it's unfortunate that people like Joel Olstein, who's very popular, Andy Stanley, who's borderline, right? Stephen Furtick, who's borderline, right? All these people are popular, yet 
the things that they're saying aren't necessarily 100% biblical. And so I want to, to teach and inform you guys how we can spot these things. And I'm going to do that through responding to this article. And so if you want to go, if you want to pause the podcast and go read that article, feel free to. Um, but yeah, here we go. So the title of that article was Freedom in Christ slash Submission in Marriage, Why I Don't Submit to My Husband. Naturally, that title piqued my interest because as many of you know, I am not egalitarian. And I think it, it truly is, and, and I'm going to say this, it is the most unbiblical accepted doctrine that's plaguing the church. It is. I want to make it clear that this, and I'm going to say it again, that this podcast is not the debate between egalitarian and complementarian. This is a direct response to an article that I read. So she begins her article with this line, and I'll quote this. She, she says this, four quote, I find the theology of submission in religion that promises freedom in Christ absolutely maddening, end quote. Now, this is how she starts um, her post, and this is a red flag, right? This is a, a huge red flag. She, she's saying that the theology of submission within religion that promises freedom of Christ is absolutely maddening. She's comparing Christianity in two parts and, and proposing that there's a contradiction. So, so that's kind of a red flag when you're reading something and, and the author kind of throws out a contradiction within Christianity that they're going to be arguing. It's, it's kind of a red flag. Uh, you kind of see this a lot, especially in some people who are saying like, we're going to redefine the gospel or we're going to think of the gospel in a new light. Like those kind of things are all red flags. And this is one of those red flags because the theology of submission is completely biblical. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Luke twenty two forty two is Jesus saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Ephesians 5, 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to your husband. In Titus 3, it talks about how we need to be reminded that we need to be submissive to the rulers and authorities and to be obedient for every good work. And 1 Peter 3 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by conduct of their wives. And so I think we can say without a doubt that a theology of submission does exist. Whether you agree with it or not, you can't just toss those Bible verse out those Bible verses out the wisdom. All right. So we have to agree here that there is this theology of submission in Christianity. I want us to kind of focus in on Luke 22:42 here. If you're unfamiliar with this passage, it's it's the son Jesus submitting to the will of God, specifically the Father. And what does that mean? Well, it means that the doctrine of submission, the theology of submission is practiced in the Trinity. So it doesn't it exists, but it also is practiced in the Trinity, in the Godhead, right? And and most people will see this as, well, you're saying that the Son isn't as much of God as the Father is because he's submitting to him. That makes Jesus inferior. In fact, this is so, that's, that's flawed hermeneutic. It's just wrong, right? The submission of the Son to the Father does not make the Son any less God, and the same applies to wives submitting to their husband. It does not make the wife any less of a person or inferior. It's simply an act of obedience. 
the fact that she finds part, and, and I'm referring to the author of the article here, the fact that she finds part of the essence of the Trinity maddening is heartbreaking, and it's proof that our culture has infiltrated our hermeneutic. It's sad that the word submission has such a negative connotation on it because every time it's used in scripture, we talked about this last week on predestination, but every time it's used in scripture, it's used in a positive light. It's used as an edifying light. Like we read in the scriptures above, right? That like submitting produces and makes us ready for every good work. Like that is good. That's in Titus 3.1, right? And so we read that submission produces a readiness for good works. It's not something that's negative, but America individualism has curated that negative connotation. And it's really sparking the feminist movement. Like I said, I can spend forever just talking on that single line, but that's not, that's like the subtitle to her article. Like we haven't even started diving in to her article. So she goes on, the first, the first line of her article is talking about Paul. She says, Paul was a great guy and he helped spread the gospel. Absolutely he did. But was he God in person? Question mark. No. So, and this is, this is continued. This is the bold part, right? This is what she wants to highlight. So when I read something that Paul wrote, and it seems to contradict the way Jesus treated people, you bet your boots I'm going with the J-man. Yeah, she said that. I bet your boots I'm going with the J-man. I laughed at that forever. Um, but, but that's what she says. She, she's literally saying that Paul contradicts the way Jesus behaves in the New Testament. You're completely correct that Paul was not Jesus. Yeah, 100%. Paul would probably disagree that he was a good guy because he understood his sin in light of God's grace and that he was completely dependent on God's grace, but he did do a lot to spread the gospel. God used him in amazing ways. I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. You're right. But the rough part and the part that I have trouble with is the part that she bolded right? That's the part. So when I read something that Paul wrote and it seems to contradict the way Jesus treated people, that part, she's saying one of two things. The first thing she's saying is she's claiming scripture contradicts itself, saying that only the parts where Jesus spoke were truly inspired versus the rest of the Bible. That's, that's the way I read that quote. It's simple. If she's saying this, then she does not believe in the inerrancy of scripture and that it was breathed out by God. And even the parts that record Jesus's words were written by man, right? And so this is another red flag. When you read something on the internet and it's, and it's talking about a supposed contradiction within scripture so that she can advance or that that person can advance their political agenda or their social agenda or, or their moral agenda, whatever it might be, that's a red flag, right? So she's saying either one, she doesn't believe in the inerrancy of scripture or two, She's claiming that it looks like they contradict, but upon her further cultural study, she decides to align with Jesus. And I really had to stretch for this one. But she's, she's looking at instances where Paul spoke on submission, and she came to the conclusion that it was a cultural statement, and it does not have the same application today. This is the most popular, this is the most popular view. However, this position fails because Paul never, and I mean never, speaks from a cultural lens when speaking doctrine. He may be addressing a cultural issue that's present within a specific people group, but, it, but it's not because the problem is specific to that culture. Rather, the problem is found rooted in the sin that we all inherited from Adam. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it, bro. Paul speaks this doctrine of submission into various cultures, 
which shows that it doesn't just apply to specific people group, but it applies directly to all of us, and we cannot just toss out those verses as, as culturally um, as culturally unapplicable. I think I think that's the strongest. The, it's the strongest argument for what she's saying is that it's culturally acceptable. But or it was culturally acceptable then in that culture, but not now. However, I think that falls short. And again, that's another red flag to notice when it, when someone is saying that scripture no longer applies to us. Red flag. A lot of people will say the law doesn't apply to us. That's still a red flag because the law does. Although we're not under the law. We're under grace. We're under that new covenant. We're not under the law. However, the law is there and it's instilled so that we can see our imperfection and our need for grace, right? So we still we still kind of need it. We still kind of work with the law. It's, it's not invalid, right? It's just we're not under it anymore. We're under grace. We're under that new covenant. And then she, she says, you bet your boots I'm going with the J-man. Well, first of all, who gives her the power to bet my boots, right? Like, I like my boots. And, and if she's going to use this argument and bet my boots, I'm going to lose my boots. And I don't want to lose my boots. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to add that in there. But yeah, so that's another red flag, right? She goes on to say, and I'm just quoting her. We only have four books in the entire Bible that give an account of Jesus' life in these Gospels. There is ample evidence that Jesus uplifts women, but perhaps more importantly, nowhere in scripture does the son of God treat men as inferior beings. Okay. I don't disagree. I, I have absolutely no problem with this statement. It seems that she's ascribing, you know, more inerrancy or more perfection to the gospels. And she's kind of disregarding the rest of scripture. We're going to move past that because we've already talked about that. But I completely agree. Jesus does uplift women. Jesus does. Uh, he, he does not treat them as inferior be beings. He, he loves them, right? However, and you will read this if you just read the gospels, Jesus doesn't treat anyone as inferior beings, even though we all deserve it. Men and women alike, right? That's kind of why we need grace. Like, that's the entire point of, of grace. And so when we, when we think about that, like, no, Jesus did not treat anyone as inferior beings, even though we all completely deserved it, men and women alike. There's a ton of evidence of Jesus uplifting women. And yes, there's tons of evidence of Jesus uplifting Gentiles and uplifting prostitutes, saving them, right? And forgiving them of their sin, right? But this is kind of making a few presuppositions, right? So she, so the first presupposition that she, that she makes is that Paul, Peter, John, and other New Testament writers are treating women as inferior beings. And that's just not, that's just not correct. That's a huge assumption. She's saying that Jesus is the only one and nowhere. We don't find anywhere in scripture where Jesus treated women as inferior beings, but everyone else, they treated people, they treated women as inferior beings. I'm just going to have to say that's wrong. All of scripture is inspi divinely inspired by God. There's another major presupposition that she makes, and that's that submission equates with inferiority, right? So she's saying that, that since no women submitted to their men, and that's what she's claiming, the Son of God treated, did not treat women as inferior beings, so she's equating the two. And this is borderline heresy. This was probably my biggest problem. And we have to be able to notice these things, right? Be and just, just look at the bridge I'm building here. If, if inferiority 
and submission are equal, then Jesus submitting to the Father means that Jesus is inferior to the Father, which denies Jesus' deity, which is, yes, heretical. Even if it's unintentional, it's heresy. Even if she's not building the direct line saying that Jesus is inferior to God, it's the logical conclusion that her argument comes to. And this, this is something that's literally taken me years to, to be able to see in writing is to see the logical, the, to see the presuppositions underlying arguments. And we need to be able to train ourselves to see these things because an average reader would read through this and be like, yeah, I see it. Like Jesus didn't treat anyone as inferior. Like I agree. Right. But when you kind of stay, take a step back in a broader view of the argument and you start to kind of deconstruct what she's saying, you see the bridges that have to be in place for her argument to be in place. So I'm not saying that Jesus did treat women as inferior beings. Absolutely not. However, the logic that she used to get to her conclusion is flawed because she's saying that Jesus's deity is denied. And I don't think if you were to go ask her, I honestly don't think she would say that Jesus is not God or that Jesus is inferior to God. I don't think that the author of this article would say that. However, to come to the conclusion that she has, it's something that she would have had to presuppose. And it's just something that we have to kind of train ourselves as Christians to be able to do and to be able to, to find these things, right? Then she lists probably five or six Bible verses. And here's the title of that section. She says, here's a short list of New Testament commands that culture seems to have moved past. That line is a huge red flag, like massive red flag. Guys, if you ever see this, if you ever see anyone talk about how we have moved past scripture or how we don't need it anymore, or how we have evolved past the necessity of Scripture, even just a single verse, disregard everything that they have to say. Scripture, the divinely inspired Word of God, is our guidebook, our manual, God's love letter to us. And if we just flippantly go around disregarding verses that we pick and choose because we think that they apply that they don't apply to our culture because it's an excuse that, that we've come up with because it's something we don't like, we have to disregard it. Guys, I cannot stress this enough. Never, never, ever, 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 ever say that we have evolved past Scripture. Because like, what does she do? What does she do with those Bible verses? Do they no longer play? Are they no longer useful? Like, do you just throw them in the trash can? Do you just cut them out of your Bible? Like, absolutely not. Never, ever, ever, ever can we say that we have moved past our necessity for Scripture. And that's what that's what this article is doing. That's a huge red flag. The next section, I'm not going to go into too much detail. I have an entire article wrote as a response to what she uh, wrote, and I'm going to post it. I'm not going to go into the next part. She talks about how um, submission is, is, was specific to that culture. I kind of touched on it earlier. 
and how so women don't need to submit now, even though maybe in that culture they needed to. Uh, she kind of dives into that. She uses the New Testament to justify her argument. And like I said, it's one of the more well thought out arguments for egalitarian theology. However, she approaches it incorrectly and she doesn't reference creation. And I think creation gives us a huge insight onto God's order and what his intended plan for marriage was, right? And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into a huge uh, discussion on this, but I am going to uh, note a few things uh, here, the Hebrew, so so I'm going to just read a paragraph that I wrote, and here it is. The creation order indicates that all creation is determined by and subject to the sovereign will of God. The creation account of Genesis 1 and 2 proceeds according to God's plan, and nothing in it is arbitrary. All of it is indicative of God's purpose. The account of creation of mankind in Genesis 2 further reveals God's plan for man and woman, the manner and sequence of their creation is expressive of the divinely ordained distinction between them and their relationship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. I'm going to skip a little part, but I'm going to keep going. Again, if you want to read more of my response, it's going to be posted on Grace Nation's website. Man needs a companion. Someone who will compliment him, complementarian, someone who will compliment him and assist him in, familian, in fulfilling the dominion, the dominion mandate. The Hebrew word for help means one who aids or supports. The word itself is not subordinate. It does not imply subordination. Context must determine the relationship between the helper and the one being assisted. So, like I said, just because women is, is, was created as a helper, it's not, it's not subordinate. It's not inferior that's not, it's not any of those words, but our culture, our American culture has again taught us to think this way. And that's another red flag. And so that's just kind of a little justification behind that culture, uh, discussion we see in the creation account that God has an order that was intended and it was destroyed at the fall. Yet that order should still be strived for. Okay. Lastly, are two more sections that she touched on, and these are two more red flags. I'm not going to spend too much time on her third section. She titles it, Jesus was revolutionary in his relationship with women. And then she goes through four different things where Jesus uh, had relation had a different type of relationship with women. So her first point was that he taught women uh, theology. He healed women. He likened himself to women, which I disagree with. And then her for fourth point was that uh, it was ultimately women who shared the good news of his um, rise. And so I'll just go through these point by point. So the first one, he set time apart to teach women. I absolutely agree. He also set, set time apart to teach Gentiles, to teach prostitutes, to teach men, to teach Pharisees, to teach all these people. So don't single out women in your argument because he set time aside and was revolutionary with all of his relationships, not just ones with women. I don't see how this disqualifies the doctrine of submission. However, the author of this article thinks it does. She then said that Jesus took time to heal them. Yes, again, he took time to heal centurion. He took time to heal Gentiles. He took time to, to heal people who didn't even believe in him. Men, women, Jew, Gentile alike. Okay, then she said that he likened himself to women. She used a verse in Luke 13. And she only quoted the second half of the, this verse. The verse, the second half, the part that she quoted said, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. 
this literally has nothing to do with women, with womanhood, with feminism, with none of that stuff. This literally has nothing to do. It's talking about Jerusalem, right? But she's taking this verse to fit her topical interpretation. Guys, we have, this is a huge red flag. When someone is taking a single verse, especially just half of a verse, and just applying it to a random argument that they're making, I want to implore you to go take a look at the entire verse, go look at the context of the verse, go look at why that verse was written, go, go look at everything in regards to that verse. Because it's really easy to take a single verse out of context and apply it to an argument. This verse is making a comparison between how a hen would gather her chicks to how Jesus calls his children to him. It's absolutely nothing to do with womanhood. And yes, uh, women were the first to, to share the good news that Jesus was risen. However, it was because they were performing their role in going to the tomb and performing their ritualistic, you know, oil anointing and, and spices and all that kind of stuff. It's not... They were actually performing their role as women in doing what they were doing. So, again, I don't see how this argument um, calls for a submission to men. Again, these are all red flags that we have to be aware of. And so she goes into her last section, and this was the section that, that I struggled with the most. And, again, these these are all red flags. Uh, I can't. There's just so many, right? Whenever you see a, the first red flag was whenever we see like a contradiction within Christianity and she's like trying to disprove this contradiction that doesn't exist. The second, you know, the second red flag is when she takes verses way out of context, when she devalues the deity of God, right? Another huge red flag was when she just disregards pieces of scripture, right? That's the third red flag. And the fourth and final red flag is this final one. And I'm just going to read this entire quote. It's a paragraph. This is straight from her article. She quotes Exodus 20. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then she says, if your own religion considers humanity totally depraved, originally sinful, and in need of saving from the pits of a fiery hell, then why are we okay with married women being submissive to these creatures? According to this theology, we are flesh-filled bags with sinful desires tamed only by the constant repentance of a quiet time. And yet, in my experience, a core component of our religion teaches that it is a woman's role to submit to her sinful, totally depraved husband what could possibly go wrong. That's her quote. She, she says, why are we okay with married women being submissive to these creatures. So like men are creatures now and and women aren't. Total depravity. This is a this is a huge this is a huge red flag. This is my final red flag. When someone takes a biblical doctrine like total depravity and uses it to defend, seemingly defend an argument that has nothing to do with total depravity or nothing to do with that specific doctrine, right? So she uses total depravity. It has absolutely nothing to do with her argument. Like nothing. Yes, both men and women are totally depraved. We're both creatures of the earth. We both don't deserve Jesus at all. Men don't take priority in that sense. However, when we're born again, we receive the Spirit. And we are justified by Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father and is interceding constantly for us. She says, why are... 
she's using total depravity as a justification to throw out biblical principles. That's your red flag. She's using a biblical doctrine to throw out the Bible. Red flag. We cannot use our total depravity as a justification to throw out biblical principles and doctrine. Read Romans 6, right? Shall I keep on sending, sinning so that grace may abound? By absolutely no means. It's like she's using our sin as an excuse to disobey God. It's circular reason, reasoning, poor philosophical interpretation, and it's what Paul warns Timothy about in his letters to the young pastor in Ephesus. She makes it sound like men are the only gender who are totally depraved, but truth be told, we're both totally depraved. 100% men aren't more depraved or less depraved than women. It's a huge red flag. And so I, I want to encourage, the reason I kind of systematically walk through this article, and I'm going to give you the link to the article in the show notes. The reason I walk through this is because there are a lot of these types of articles out there, not just on this topic, but on a whole wide range of topics. And I can assure you that many people who align with egalitarian theology will disagree wholeheartedly with everything she has to say in this article. We have to take time and search the scriptures with and supplement what we read with the scriptures, right? The scriptures are our final authority. And if we read anything that, that you know, contradicts the scriptures, then we have to be weary. And, and I'm just telling you, there are red flags all throughout this article that contradict scripture. The fact that she's using total depravity to throw out biblical doctrine. The fact that she says our culture has evolved past the need for certain Bible verses. The fact that she says that Jesus' deity is invalid because he's submitting to the Father. And the fact that she is using, uh, she's saying that the theology of submission is not a biblical doctrine. Those are all red flags that we need to be aware of when reading any post or article or theological work. And this includes anything that you read on my website. If you ever read anything that seems to contradict scripture, I would want you to do a response like this. I would want you to reach out to me. I would want you to explain like, hey, I don't think this logically and theologically lines up with what scripture is revealed to us. And if it doesn't, we're going to take a look at it and we're going to fix it immediately. This applies to everything that you read. Sermons that you hear in the pulpit, songs you sing on Sunday, songs you listen in your car, articles you read on the internet, podcasts you listen to, and every other thing that you do needs to be supplemented and confirmed by scripture. And if it's not, throw it away. Like I said, I'm not disagreeing with egalitarian interpretation. That's not what I'm here to do. That's not what me systematically walking through this article was about. I'm not saying I don't agree. I don't definitely don't agree with it, but that's not what this was about. This is me simply pointing out obvious red flags in an in interpretation and in hermeneutic that are present in this article. And I want to implore you to keep those red flags in mind whenever you read any work. Like, what was the point of that? Like I said at the beginning, the purpose of Grace Nation Ministries and the purpose of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast is to inform and equip the followers of Christ to do every good work and to be faithful ministers of the gospel and proper interpreters of scripture. 
I wrote this to show that there's a lot of this kind of poor thinking in the church. And unfortunately, people blindly accept the stuff that they read online without confirming it in Scripture. I wanted to show the importance of proper hermeneutic so that we can be faithful bearers of the good news because we are called to dive into the scripture and to study it. We have to be diligent. And if we're not, we're going to end up with improper hermeneutic like the article that we just read. Guys, if you disagree with me or have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to have a conversation about you, about it. Um, I think I think I, I did this in a loving way. Again, I'm not I don't want to mention names. I will link the art the article so that you guys have a reference. But I'm not here to bash a sister in Christ. I'm not here to attack other brothers and sisters. I'm here to make known the fact that there is improper biblical interpretation everywhere. And we need to be faithful stewards of the word by confirming everything we read online, everything we listen into our ears, every sermon that we hear, every song that we sing with scripture. And if we don't do that, then we are being irresponsible bearers of the good news. We are called to confirm, to test the spirits, as the Bible says. Guys, I love you all. Seriously, I love you. And even if you're egalitarian, that's not the point. I think if you're egalitarian, you can read this article and disagree with it because it's just improper hermeneutic. There are brothers and sisters in the Arminian camp, in the egalitarian camp, in the, you know, in, in things that I don't necessarily agree with, and they're genuine saved believers and lovers of Jesus Christ, 100%. But we have to be careful when we're reading things like this because we don't want to do harm to the glory of God on this earth. And that's what this does. Guys, I love you. Take care. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Uh, you can email me at gracenationministries at yahoo.com. You can send me a message on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook. Send me a message there. However you want to get in touch with me, get in touch with me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to talk with you more. I love you all. I love so many things. Take care and God bless. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. The BGN Podcast comes out every week. Questions? Email us at gracenationministries at yahoo.com or tweet us at gracenationmin. Until next time, take care and God bless.